Amen. Let's stand and take our Bibles, please, tonight. First Thessalonians chapter 1. First Thessalonians 1. I want to welcome our guests and visitors here tonight. And we do pray that tonight's service will be a blessing to each of you. First Thessalonians chapter 1. I want you to go down to verse 5 this evening. First Thessalonians chapter 1. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, and received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you are examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place... Your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come. Chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians is a very exciting chapter. And we're going to finish up this chapter. I know Brother Irwin preached on it last week on conserving, conserving the fruit that remains. And I want to kind of finish up on a couple of things. But as you read it, I'm reminded of a story of a preacher that got up in a country church in the south. And, and he just wanted to kind of get his church ready for the preaching of the Word of God. And he got up and he says something like this. You know, our church needs to get back to the basics. And we need to become like a baby and learn how to get up on our hands and knees and crawl like we've never crawled before. And he made the statement, this church needs to crawl before the Lord. And in the back of the church, there was a voice of a man who was just supporting the pastor. And he said, yes, pastor. He said, let it crawl, preacher. Let it crawl. Well, then the preacher, as he's standing up there, he got a little bit more bold about preaching. And he says something like this. He said, well, not only should our church crawl, but our church needs to stand. We need to work on studying the Word of God and strengthening ourselves in the Word so we can be strong in the faith. And they made this proclamation. We need to stand in the Lord. Well, in the back of the church, the same man who said, let it crawl, preacher. Let it crawl. He, cried, he shouted out a little bit larger, a little bit louder. He said, let it stand preacher, let it stand. Well, then the preacher got a little bit more excited. He started going like this. He said, well, why don't should we crawl? Why don't should we stand? But this church needs to then take one step at a time, putting one foot out in front of the other until we can walk with the Lord all the way that we should. This church needs to walk with the Lord. Well, by that time, the man in the back got really fired up because, you know, he's just feeling the enthusiasm of his pastor there. And he says, let it walk, pastor, let it walk. Well, by that time, the pastor is really bold about everything. He says something like this. He's so spurred by what's going on. He says, this church needs then to get into a stride where we can run for God. But first, it's going to take each and every member of this church, each and every one of you to join in. So therefore, all of you are committed. All of you have to make a commitment to tithe. You have to make a commitment to be in church, to study the Word of God. You have to make a commitment to pray. You've got to be in church at all of our services. You've got to get involved with witnessing, so winning. You've got assembly here each time. The church meets every time we meet, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And he was waiting for the guy in the back to say something, but it was deathly quiet for a long period of time. Finally, the man in the back says, let it crawl, pastor, let it crawl. <laughs> Now, tonight, we're not going to let the church crawl, but we definitely look at past the Scripture that's going to make us run. Amen? And uh, this evening, I want you to notice verses 5 through 10. Uh, the, the subject I want us to, to pray about tonight as we preach is the subject of the evangelistic church. And uh, the church of Thessalonica in these early days, and Paul wasn't there very long, but this was a church that was strongly evangelistic. We're going to talk about what does that mean? How does that apply to us? Are we even doing that right now? And if we're doing it, can we do it any better? And we're going to see all the characteristics of that tonight in our study from 1 Thessalonians on what the Bible calls the evangelistic church. Father, bless your word. I know people have just come here from work and school. Uh, maybe many have yet even not even had a supper or a bite to eat, so they're probably just very hungry. They're tired. Uh, many of them are still just unwinding from problem solving during the day. We're just God, having just having to fought the traffic here in the Bay Area. Whatever it may be, I pray you do bless our service tonight. I pray you bless and use our translator as he's translating the Word of God tonight. Use tonight this service to make a, a defining moment and point in all of our lives. And we'll thank you for all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
This series we're doing in First and Second Thessalonians is entitled The Church Triumphant. We believe God wants His church to be triumphant. There are many different kinds of churches that you find throughout the Bible. And as we look at them, we realize that each of them have different characteristics, different, di- different personalities, different emphasis, things of that nature. And we need to get back focused tonight about what kind of church God wants us to have. Now, some of you come from other church backgrounds, and I understand that. Many of you, all you know is a Baptist church, and that's good. All I want you to know is a Baptist church. Amen. But uh, many people have different ideas about churches, and we need to think about that tonight. What is the kind of church that God wants us to have? For instance, contemporary Christian writers categorize churches under different styles. They talk about the one church that is a worshiping and liturgical style, where they have this high worship type of thing, and it's just, it's just you come in, it's very stiff and very formalistic, but you know, they're really into just, you know, we're, we're the only song that they, they think that they think the song praise. God from whom all blessings flow was inspired by the Word of God, you know, and things like that. And that's not, you know, and, and that's, there's something good to be said about that, but you'll find that a lot of formalistic churches, they're just, they're very, they're very stuck in their ways and can't move on. And then you go to the extreme of where uh, these writers talk about the social gospel church that emphasizes social relief and social program. Nothing wrong with that, but there's no preaching of the gospel. They're all about, you know, uh, bed, bread pantries and feeding the poor and so forth. And, that, and we need to do more of that, but, you know, it's just, that's their whole emphasis there. And then there's the ecumenical ecumenical church. And the word ecumenical, if you're not familiar with it, it used to be a term uh, was preached on much when I was a younger Christian. But the word ecumenical, base, ecumenical means just embracing all, all faiths, whether their beliefs are right. It doesn't matter what the belief system is. We're all one and the same, and we can join and be together. So doctrine is not a priority. It's just about fellowship and being together regardless of the belief. And then there's the megachurch emphasis, which has a specific goal where their goal is large crowds and attendance. And honestly, when you look at it, you get kind of mesmerized by how did they get so many people in? And, and they like to share their story, how they began in somebody's apartment as a little Bible study. And then they just blossomed down and you kind of wonder how did they do all those things. And then we have not just the contemporary Christian writers which write about all these different kind of church, these church uh, ideas, but then we have, uh, we have modern day Christians who have different ideas about church. Now, I'm not sure what your idea is, but my goal through the preaching tonight is to help us be on the same page about what a church should be, amen? But there's some who think this, they want church to be a place where they can come one time a week. I mean, one time a week, that's just like one service. They come one time a week, and they just hope they get a thought for the day that will carry them through the week. They're not intending to read the Bible the rest of the week. If they can, that's a blessing. But they're not intending to read the Bible, the Word of God. They're just intending to come. They want to be part of the singing. They want to see people they haven't seen all week. They want to get one thought for the week, and that's pretty much it. Then there's some people who, they want a church that has organized programs for their children, their teenagers, but the parents themselves are not specifically interested in being plugged into the church themselves. They're glad to be there, but they want the church to be there for their kids. And then we have some who people, they they want church to be a place where they can be with their friends and they want to hang out. That's a good thing, but their only thing about church is really it's a social place where they meet with their friends and they hang out and they go out for something to eat or something to drink later on, where they get a cup of coffee or something like that there, or or a Jamba Juice or something like that, and they do something like that. I mean, that's their idea of church. And then others, there's some who are the business and professional community, where for them, church is a networking opportunity where they come, it's good for their business and they built business on that. Nothing wrong with that as long as that's not their sole goal. But I mean, that's the only reason why they're in church, more or less. And then there's some, and honestly, in this day and age we're in, they want less church, not more church. And so we have different flavors about things. But my question to you tonight, my question to you tonight is, what's your idea about church? What's church to you? As you come to church, you just come because that's what we do? Or do you have an idea why we come to church? What's your motive for being in church? Are you coming for people or are you coming for God? Why do you come to church? You know, and may I say a few things tonight. Church is not a good idea. Church is God's idea. And we have to remind ourselves God originated the concept of church. The very word church is a word God gave us. The word ecclesia, which means a local assembly of saved, baptized individuals. You know, it's a God idea, not a good idea. I remind you tonight, church is not just a place for worship. Church is a place where God's people work. God's people need to be serving the Lord. Church is not a place just for friendships. Church should be a place where there's fervency and fire and a desire in our heart to glorify God. Church is a place for edification. But as we see 1 Thessalonians 1, 
verses 5 to 10, we must not neglect the fact that church is a place for evangelism. Evangelism is talking about how as a church we embrace the command of our Savior to tell everybody that they need to get saved. Telling folks that Jesus is the light of the world. Telling them, John 3, 16, that God loves them. Evangelism is the work of the church. An evangelistic church, then, is a church that makes soul winning and witnessing and the winning of souls and evangelization and the spreading of the gospel and missions. That is a primary emphasis. Not the only emphasis, but it's the primary emphasis. It's, it's kind of the concept that we revolve what we're doing as a church. And we're realizing that our number one goal is making sure that we're getting the gospel to people. And so tonight, as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 to 10, I'd like you to consider with me the DNA and characteristics of the evangelistic church. Now, I'm not saying the evangelical church because we're not evangelical. We are fundamental. We're fundamental Baptist church, okay? And you need to clarify in your mind. Sometimes we may refer to the evangelical church, but the evangelical church itself is probably not as close to the Bible as we'd like them to be. When we say fundamental, we're talking about the fact that we hold to the fundamentals of the faith, which is another message there. But tonight I want you to see the DNA uh, emphasis of an evangelistic church. and what, How does an evangelistic church function? What's the concept of evangelism in the church and what do we do there? Notice number one, if you have your outline in verse five, I want you to see the mandate for the evangelistic church. The mandate for the evangelistic church, okay? The mandate means the marching orders for the church. How many of you know what our marching orders are? Amen? You know the marching orders of our church. We need to know what the marching orders are. Look at verse 5. Paul said, for our gospel came not unto you. Look at those two words, our gospel our priority, the mandate we have as a church, revolves itself around the preaching of the gospel. And I put this in your notes. The mandate of the evangelistic church is the preaching of the gospel, the establishment of local churches, and the reproducing of similar churches. As a church, we're not intent just in building and growing this church. As a church, we want to be looking beyond the boundaries of San Leandro at the opportunities and prospects of planting churches with the same DNA that Heritage Baptist this church has. Now that being said, our, hair, our DNA needs to match up with the DNA of the Bible. Amen? We need to match up with what God wants us to have there. We're going to see some of those things. Now notice the priority in this mandate. Now for those of you new to the church, this, this is all a new concept here, but the evangelistic church is one where we must understand that we have a biblical foundation for this. And that foundation is found in the commands of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus introduced the concept of the church to his 12 disciples. And talking to Peter, he said this, and I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. Now before I go on, let me tap you circle a couple words. The word for Peter, Peter's name is the, is the word Petros, which means a little pebble. But when you find Peter's name both in, both in the Greek as well as in the Aramaic, his name always means a little pebble. It's a Petros there. The word for rock, when Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church, first of all, if you look at it carefully, the rock is speaking about Jesus Christ himself. He's speaking about himself there. The word word for the rock is the word Petra. Petra has the idea of a massive boulder, of a massive rock. It's a massive, huge rock. Uh, it's something like the idea of the rock of Gibraltar. And he's talking to Peter. He says, Peter, you're Peter. You're the little rock. And he says, upon me, this rock, this boulder, this Petra, I will build my church. Jesus is telling us that he has a church that he was in the process of starting. He was starting that church there with those disciples. And on that church, notice this Fraser, I will build my church. The priority there is Christ started a church composed of saved, baptized individuals, but he started a church with the intent of building that church and branching that church out. So we find that in Matthew 16, 18. Notice Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20 in your notes, please, tonight. He says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and Lord, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now we can go on to the other gospels, but here's what I want to say. Matthew 28, 19, 20, I, I, I like the fact that it's, that it's very, very clear what the mission of the church is. It's very, very clear of the church, the mandate of the church. We're to go and teach all nations. We're to go out from our midst. We're to make disciples. We're to go into every nation to start churches. Hey, it's a good thing for Heritage Baptist Church to be scoping opportunities in other foreign countries where maybe someone gets saved here and they go over there, opportunity for us to start a church there or another city there. That's a good thing for us to consider. That's a biblical thing for us to 
to do. And he says we're not just supposed to start the church, but we're to make disciples of all nations. Making disciples means you get them grounded in the Word of God. You spend time with them and teach them the Word of God. And then the Bible says in verse 20 there, teaching them deserve all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Now when we embrace that thought, it's, it's a little bit frightening because everything the Lord Jesus Christ commanded, that's what we're supposed to teach. When we go over to the book of Acts, we find, we find mentioned there the, 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 the apostles' doctrine. And the apostles' doctrine is the same doctrine Jesus spoke of here in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. And then notice John 20, verse 21. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, uh, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Now when we look at the centrality of every local church, every local church that's, that must be evangelistic should be centered on getting the gospel to everyone. Our goal is getting the gospel to people. People that are not saved are lost and going to hell. They need to know that Jesus loves them. They need to know there's a church in the area that loves them. People should know the moment they step on a campus like this, they should know by the way things flow, by the way that they're greeted, by the way the song service goes, by the time the preacher gets to the pulpit and preaches the word of God. They need to know that there's a church here that's concerned about their soul, that's concerned about the eternal destiny, and they know for a fact that somebody's going to ask them before they leave those doors, if you die today, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? An evangelistic church is centered and wired on the gospel. It's wired on the fact we are burdened. Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel, the apostle Paul said there. And so that's what we're doing. Our services, our music, our ministries, our emphasis is centered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you need to think of me tonight. The ministry you're involved in, are you helping to promote the gospel? Are you making sure that, the God, that that ministry is gospel-centric? That we're making sure that we're not just trying to maintain our own and hold our way, but we're looking to bring new people in and to find new prospects and to get the gospel to new people and to find that we're staying fresh on the matter of preaching the gospel to people and witnessing to folks. Are we planning our weeks out individually as the sum total of the local church and helping people to understand that this evening? Paul refers to our gospel. May I remind you tonight, there's only one gospel. Amen. There's not another gospel, okay? Paul refers to that over in Galatians chapter 1. There is not another gospel. There's only one gospel. And the gospel declares that Christ died for our sins. Here he's buried and he rose again from the dead. There's only one gospel. And we must understand tonight and we must embrace what the Bible declares of itself, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And so tonight we see the priority in this mandate. Would you notice in verse 5, would you notice the presentation in this mandate. Now we're moving off the, the general foundation of what, what, what we're supposed to be doing as an evangelistic church. But I want you to notice something that will help you and I in our witnessing. That will help you and I in conserving the fruit of what God gives us. And I want you to notice in verse 5 as we look at this, Paul gives us some indication of things that God used in him at the church of Thessalonica when that church was started that gave great fruit. And by the way, when we read the, about the church of Thessalonica, it was, it was a great church, a great example. In fact, as we read the end of this chapter, we find that of the churches Paul started in the Macedonian area, Philippi and Berea, and uh, going a little bit down beyond that to Athens and Thessalonica, the church at Thessalonica perhaps was the greatest example of those churches there. That's amazing because I, I love preaching about the church at Philippi and all the things that God did there and the organization of the church. But it's interesting, Paul commends this church for being an example to all the ears around them. And, and I think the main reason is because it, it had all the, all the DNA characteristics of an evangelistic church. Now notice this presentation, if you'll notice verse 5 please. For our gospel came not unto you in word only. Now we're looking at the presentation of, of the evangelistic church. How, when we present it, how is the gospel to be presented? How do we present the gospel in such a way that we're going to have great fruit conservation? How is the gospel going to be presented in such a way that we're going to see people added and we're going to see God working? Notice he said, our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. Now notice Paul here gives us four critical elements that must be part of what we do as evangelistic church. 
They must be what we do because if we come short in these areas, we're not getting the job done. First of all, he says, our gospel came to you in word. Now this is the preaching, the witnessing, the literature, uh, whatever we used, we put in print. The Bible says the Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that published it. We have to realize that we have God's written word. We must understand, we must not underestimate the power of the word of God. The power of God's word can go in places and do things that you and I cannot do. Notice Paul in Acts 17 as we see the power of the Word of God at Thessalonica. Are you there? Acts chapter 17 verse 2. You better say amen. We're going to be here for a long time today. Amen. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them from what? Scriptures and Word. What Scriptures? The Old Testament. He talked about the priests. He talked about the tabernacle. He talked about the sacrificial lamb. He talked about their feast days. He went to the book of Isaiah. He went to the prophets. He talked about Jeremiah. He, I mean, you find the gospel all over that. I mean, he preached the gospel through the book of Psalms, amen? He took him to Deuteronomy. I'm saying, when you look at it here, it says he reasoned with them out of the scriptures. Listen, he didn't just preach to them. He made, their, he made them think. He moved in their hearts and emotions. Look at verse 3. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. And that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Now I'm going to tell you something tonight. Paul was a lot smarter than anybody in this room. Paul was a lot smarter than anybody alive that's a Baptist today. Because when you read his resume, it's an impressive resume, right? I mean, you go to Philippians chapter 3, impressive resume. I mean, he, 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 learned, he was learned under the, at the feet of Gamaliel of all things. But Paul had enough sense to realize he is not bigger than the Word of God. Now thank God for our testimonies. And thank God we've got the Scriptures memorized. And thank God we can take them down the Romans road or we can lead them to Christ through the Gospel of John or Ephesians the first jump. But I'm going to tell you tonight, nothing's going to substitute for putting the Word of God in front of the sinner and having them read it to you. And having them read and realize the convicting power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. And so Paul says our word, our, 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 the Gospel came to you in Word. Notice the Gospel must come in power. Let me ask you a question tonight. Have you sensed God's power when you're presenting his word? I said at the very moment, how how do you know? You've got their attention. They turn off the television set. I was there with Mr. Mr. Mock the other day, and he was watching a college basketball game, and it was all loud. Before I could even tell him that, I said, sir, do you mind if we just turn that off? He just said, you know, I need to turn this off because I need to hear what you got to say. That was the power of God. Well, I mean, we need a sense before we go, we must be prayed up and readied up for God's power to be at work. The gospel must be presented and preached with power. Look at Acts 4.33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, that the magnitude of that power, great power. The church was in agreement in those early days. There's one thing we all need to have. We need to have boldness and we need to have power. And the power of God came on them in a great way. And the entire church and the apostles gave witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, this is, this is like an hour or two after Peter and John had been censured by the Pharisees and told you're not to preach the gospel anymore. And they were all scared about their liberties. But now the apostles get up after this prayer meeting. They're emboldened by the Spirit of God. There was great power. Hey, let me show you something else. Look at Acts chapter 6 with me. Acts chapter 6, which you notice verse 9, and this is talking about Stephen. Then there rose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and the Cyrenians, and the Alexandrians. The Alexandrians were the ones from Egypt. They were the ones who were argumentative. Let me remind you, anything that came out of Alexandria was bad. Bad, 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 uh, bad manuscripts came out of Alexandria that have gone into these corrupt manuscripts of the Bible there. Listen, these Alexandria men who got bad doctrines down there. They were Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandria, and of them a Cilician of Asia, disputing with Stephen. Stephen's preached the gospel, and there's a group of these guys, these intellectuals, if you would, and these guys who know the Old Testament backwards and forwards, these great intellectuals and these liberals, if you would. They're arguing, they're disputing with them, but notice verse 10. And they were not able to resist the wisdom, the spirit by which he spoke. That's the power of God, brother and sister Christ. The, word, the gospel came in word. The gospel came in power. But notice the gospel came in the Holy Ghost. Now take it to Acts chapter 13. Notice Paul. First missionary endeavor. He's over on Cyprus. 
The Saul, who's also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on This was the turning point. It was Barnabas and Saul up until this moment of time. At that moment of time, God put his stamp of approval upon Paul, and, 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 and Barnabas was fine with him because he knew something about the power of God. And now the stamp of approval is on Paul, and later on the team would not be called Barnabas and Saul, it would be called Saul or Paul and Barnabas. And there was that defining moment in Paul as they're dealing with this, this man who had witchcraft and this man who tried to mesmerize another man and to steal this man's heart and keep him from believing on the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost. Listen, we are living, if you haven't sensed it when you're out door knocking and visiting or you haven't sensed it with relatives, we are living in a satanically infused day and age. We are living in a time there's more mental illness and depression problems we've ever seen before. We're living in a time right now there are more people doped up on medication because that's what all the doctors know how to do. We're living in a time that there's all kinds of weird things and witchcraft and stuff going on. Just go outside and take a look. All the weird things going on with people's lives. And we are living in a satanically infused. You look at all the weird things and the perverted things going on in society. You wonder how do people get that way? I'll tell you how they got that way. They got that way because of spiritual wickedness in high places and principality of powers in high places because the devil working overtime. While we're at sleep at night, the devil is working overtime, brother, sister, in Christ. And as Paul approaches man, he set his eyes on him, and he said to that, that man, oh, full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil. Now, I'm not sure I have that much boldness. I'd call somebody the child of the devil on my first visit, amen? I'd like to be his friend before I come back and do that, amen, you know? But Paul there on that first video, he had it with the guy. He said, oh, full of all subtlety and mystery. Why? Because he saw beyond that man's veneer. This man, that wasn't the man. He's dealing with some demons there. He said, thou child of the devil. He said, thou enemy of all righteousness. Wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord be is upon thee. And thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness. And he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Hey, that's the Holy Spirit working. I'm going to tell you tonight, if we're just going with the word only, We'll get results, but not like Paul did. He went with the word. He went with power. He went with the Holy Ghost. But notice he did much assurance. Would you notice that tonight? And underline that phrase, in much assurance. Much assurance is the follow-up work we do with believers. You see, when a, when a person gets saved, they don't know all the scriptures. They don't know all the jargon we use. They're, they're, just, kind of, they're just kind of figuring out what does it mean to be saved and what does born again mean and, and uh, what does it mean to uh, all, what, what is, you know, I don't understand all these things and how to know for sure I'm, I, I, I've got eternal life. Just Sunday was we're, as we were shaking hands on the way out, uh, a dear lady who's been coming to our church stopped me and she said, Pastor, I said, how are you doing today? And she said, Pastor, just pray for me. I'm having a hard time. I said, what's the matter? She says, you know, I just want, I just, I, I, I want to make sure I'm going to heaven. I said, ma'am, did you trust Jesus your Savior? She said, yes, I did, but she said, I have so many doubts, I have so many fears. Well, she doesn't know the Bible. And you know, that, we get that all the time, and there are those who just are afraid to tell you because they don't want to look weak, and they don't want to look like they don't know, but we've got people that probably sit by you on a Sunday morning, and sometimes Sunday night, maybe even here tonight, they don't have a strong assurance of their salvation. And I'm just saying tonight, here's what Paul did. He went back, and he went back, and he went back, and if he didn't go, he sent somebody back, and he made sure those people have an assurance of salvation. Now listen, you do a disservice to anybody you lead to Christ if you don't go back within a reasonable period of time to go back and give them an assurance of their salvation. That's why we wrote the book, The Right Start, so you have it right there. You can just walk them right there, tell them what you, what you believed and, and how to get the assurance. Uh, we, we got a call from Brother Robert Sargent. Dr. Sargent is the author of the ABCs of Christian Discipleship. And my wife, for the last three years, has been working on the translation of that to the Chinese language. Very tedious work. And it's making sure the language is correct and making sure the Bible verses are correct. Because the Chinese do not have a, they do not have a, they do not have a, uh, they don't have a King, King James Version equivalent there. So it's a problem. So he's trying to make sure all that's right. And so we got it to him. He took over to Fiji where his son is ministering right now. They have an extension ministry in Fiji. And there's just a, a large number of Chinese immigrants that came from mainland China over there. And they've been reaching with the gospel. And we sent them the translation about, half, about halfway through, but I guess from A to M or something like that. We gave them the translation there. And I, and I told them what letters I would go to. I said, why don't you use... Uh, uh, letter N for, uh, for the new birth, and I would use letter A for assurance and the preliminary, and I, I, I said I'd use some of those first to kind of work with them, and I said it's trans, they'll find it there. And man, they, when they got that, everything's in their language, and, they, and Lord, listen, they went with the word, 
They went in power of the Holy Ghost, but they've gone back with much assurance to help these be people. They're reaching for Christ, and uh, through the gospel, they're reaching for Christ. They're giving them much assurance there. And I'm just saying tonight, Paul's work, he realized tonight, he says, our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance. I'm just saying tonight, the presentation of the gospel must incorporate these four critical elements in making sure that we're doing a service, we're doing a right service in the presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who need to hear about the Lord. Charles Spurgeon said this, the model of all true servants of God must be, we preach Christ and him crucified. A sermon without Christ in it is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it. No Christ in your pre- sermon, sir? Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, we see, we see tonight the mandate, which you notice very quickly, verses five and six, which you notice the ministry of the evangelistic church. Now notice in verse, the latter part of verse 5, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Now your testimony counts. Your testimony counts. And he said, ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Now how you conduct yourself to people is indicating to them what kind of Christian they're going to turn out to be. And it's very important that our model that we shape our lives after is the model of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And as we model ourselves after the Lord Jesus Christ, we misunderstand this evening. He said, when you became followers of us, he, he wasn't patting himself on the back and saying, look at me how good I am. He was realizing how much he needed to work on his own life to be more like Jesus Christ there. Now, the evangelistic church is to conserve the fruit from every salvation decision. The evangelistic church is to conserve the fruit from every every salvation decision. Look at John 15, 16. Jesus defined it there. In John 15, 16, he said, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bear fruit. And what should happen to your fruit? Your fruit should what? Remain. You know what the word remain is? The same word that's used repeatedly in that same, that same, cha- that same chapter, the word mino, is the word abide, the word continue, your word should remain. Just as you're abiding in Christ, just as you're continuing my love, he says make sure people that trust Jesus Christ as Savior, he's saying make sure that your fruit remains. They need to be in church. They need to walk with God. You know, new believers get discouraged. New believers have trials that come. I'm thinking what, <coughs> right now that I saved at our Christmas musical, and we recently helped them through the passing of a loved one, and they just started coming to church, and all of a sudden, it's just like a, like a boulder rolled down the hill and rolled them over, and there's just a number of trials that are going on and difficulties, and this is the very words they said. They said, Pastor, I want to trust God, but it's so hard. I'm feeling like I can't trust God anymore. That's the reality of how people feel. The devil hits them hard. And so we misunderstand tonight that God wants his fruit to remain, but we're part of that process. We're part of that conservation process. They're not going to get conserved. They're not going to stay in the church if we're just hanging around our own friends and we're busy about our own thing and we're worried about this other thing here. Listen, we need to remind ourselves that the gospel is a people-centric ministry, amen? So notice, first of all, we would notice verse 5, there's the instruction in discipleship. You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. They got saved. They got saved at Thessalonica, but they had to pay a price. They were being ridiculed. They were being mocked. They were being ostracized. The word for followers is the word that we get our word imitate from. You might want to put that in your margin somewhere. It means having a pattern that they will duplicate or they will imitate. The first step is instruction. Now listen, we instruct with our lips, but we also instruct with our lives. You became followers of us and of the Lord. Notice some things, Matthew 28, 19. Would you go back there, please? Go ye and teach all nations. Jesus Christ himself, our Lord and Master, the author of the church, the CEO of the church. He said we're to teach, we're to make disciples of all nations. Listen, discipling involves teaching. That's why I'm thankful you're here tonight. But that's why I'm thankful we can encourage people to come on a Sunday night. Hey, do me a favor on Sunday morning this week. This coming Sunday morning, you get to church, sit next purposely to someone that you don't know. And as you sit with them, encourage them to the Lord and say amen along the way. And then turn them along the way and say, hey, are you coming to church tonight? Make them feel uncomfortable. It's going to be great. You're going to join me in church. Are you going to sit right here? And I'm going to sit right next to you. You going to be here tonight? And he says, teach, make disciples. They're not going to be disciples if there's no commitment. 
Discipleship is not filling in the blanks and going through a book. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is learning that and letting the word of God take and affect you. And Colossians 3.16 happens. Letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Rooted and built up in him. Grounded in the faith. And notice he says here that he says, go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now notice the instruction is leading them down a, a methodical path that God has given. Do you see that? The methodical path is you're getting them discipled, but as you're getting discipled, they need to make a decision that the next step is they need to be a member of the local New Testament church. And notice in verse 19 of Matthew 28, the way, the gateway to the local New Testament church is through scriptural baptism. Say amen. You're not a member just because you got saved. You are a part of the family of God after you got saved, but you become a member of the church when you get baptized. I remind the story of a Baptist preacher. He had a little four-year-old son that came to church and started sitting in the front row there, and he started to understand what's going on, and he watched one service. His father got up in the baptistry, and the Baptist church is there. They had the baptistry in the back there, and he got the baptistry. He watched his father do some baptisms there, and the son got all fired up because he watched his dad repeat the same pattern. He took the first person out that, got, that, that was getting baptized. He said, are you saved? They said, I'm saved. Do you know for sure? You're going to heaven? Yes, I know for sure I'm going to heaven. And then he'd have them do all the stuff that we have them do. And then he'd put them down in the water. Says, and he says, uh, he says, he would tell him the baptismal formula and tell him in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, I baptize you. They baptized through the form and brought him back up. Well, the son got so inspired, he went back home, which was the parsonage, which was around the corner from the church. And he went back home and he got himself a little, he got himself a little uh, blow up, little, little blow up, little swimming pool there. And he found his three little cats that he had there. He took the first kitten. He looked at the kitten, held him up like this. He said, obedience to command of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I baptize you right now. Boom, put the kitten in. Kitten don't know what happened. He let the kitten go and it took off. He grabbed a second kitten. He said, he said, he said, okay, kid, you must be saved also. Are you saved? He says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, I baptize you. Boom, he did that. Well, he went for the third cat, which happened to be the mother, and the mother was an old Tom cat that didn't want to deal with that. And the old tomcat, as she picked up the cat, she started clawing at it and going at it and, and, and scratched him up and he let her go and she kind of went back in the corner there and he's all bleeding there and he went, grabbed the tomcat again and he tried to do the baptismal form of the baptizer and as he tried to do this, she started clawing him again. This time she got his face and clawed him and now he's bleeding all over the place. So he let her go through on the floor and he said, he went like this, he said, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead and be a Baptist, go ahead and be a Methodist then. You're not going to be a Baptist, you go ahead and be a Methodist there, okay? And I remind you today that as we think about, about that, we are, we are not interested in being something else. We want people that when they get baptized to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now it's a little bit disheartening. People wait about six to 12 months before they figure out it's time to be obedient. Yeah. We must obey God rather than man. Right. To obey is better than sacrifice, Amen. And I'm glad if they're tithing, things like that. But I'm just saying tonight, he says here, there must be an instruction of the word of God. Notice secondly, not only the instruction, but you notice the involvement in discipleship. A.W. Tozer said, only a disciple can make a disciple. Help them understand the doctrine and responsibility of the word of God. But notice, we must also have them involved. Now, involved means doing what you're supposed to be doing for the Lord. Look at verse, verse 5 and 6, okay? In verse 6, he says, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word of much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Now they were doing what Paul did. Being a follower means they imitated what Paul did. Yeah, that's, what, that, that's the best way you can help someone. Just, hey, why don't you tag along with me? Let me show you the ropes of Christian life. We're supposed to carry our Bibles, we're supposed to pray. Let's, you know, we have our devotions, and let me show you how to have your devotions. Let me show you how do we, how do we pray to the Lord. And, you know, we, we just, you just teach them the ropes of the Christian life there. But involvement goes a little bit step beyond it. Look again, verse 6, and you became followers of us. Now, I think, I think for a new believer, and maybe someone who's not involved, the first step involvement, go soul winning. Right. Amen? Amen? Just go soul winning. Some of you are not embracing that. You're looking down. You're like, I'm not sure I want to do that. You need to do that. You're being disobedient if you're not doing that. Amen? You go soul winning. Take them, you say, well, i got to take them to discipleship. No, they can go soul winning before they go to discipleship. They can invite people to church. I ask every new believer. I ask them this. I said, who, do, who in your family do you know that you can introduce me to? Let's plan a day to go out. And you tell them, you, you just tell them, you give them leadership. Say, listen, we, we have organized outreach on this day. I'd like you to come with me, and I, I just, all I want you to do is dress nice. I want you to smile. You have to say a thing. I'll let you ring a doorbell every now and then or knock on a door. I don't, and, and I might just tell you to introduce yourself and say your name. But beyond all that, I just want you to watch, observe how God works that. Let me tell you, there's something unique about that. When you go out, God blesses that because those new, those new people that go out and see you sowing, God works in that capacity and puts a burden in their heart for that. But includes sowing, includes tithing. Includes tithing. 
Includes participating in the offering. Includes serving the Lord. I mean, I, I'm just thankful for some of our newer members. They didn't know what to do. But I, I kind of enjoy the fact that we, God gave us this Heritage Center. And, you know, a couple, times, a couple times a month, we just say, okay, man, we need all the men at the end of service. We need all the men to stack the chairs up. It's amazing how all the men get involved and do something there. Amen. You know, especially the new guys. The new guys come. They don't, they're not sure what they're supposed to do. They just start stacking the chairs and moving. Things. You know, that starts building involvement inside those, some of those guys there. Oh, we have a special food event that's around the church. And some of those guys, they roll up their sleeves and they get the garbage cans out. And they're not asked to do it. They just get involved. I mean, we need to create involvement. Discipling means instruction. Discipling means involvement. Let me tell you something tonight. If you're instructing somebody and they're going through discipleship and they have no desire to serve the Lord, there's something wrong there. They need to have a desire to serve the Lord. And by the way, maybe I'm speaking to some tonight. You just need to get involved. You need to plug yourself in and do something for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then notice something else. Notice in verse 6, he only talked about the instruction. He not only talked about involvement. Involvement, by the way, concludes praying for your church and taking the prayer page. Hey, listen, if you're discipling someone, make sure you're giving them a prayer page and teaching them how to pray for the church. Amen. Teach them how to love the church. Now, come on, say amen tonight. Amen. You teach them how to love their church. Amen. Teach them how to love the people of God. You say, well, I have reservations about it. Then you're not right with God. You need to be down the aisle tonight, Amen. You have some reservation about something going on in the church. You're not right with God. You don't agree with God. Your problem's not with me. Your problem's with the Bible. Amen? So you look at tonight the Word of God. You say here, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, look at verse 6. Not only do we inspire, not only do we instruct, and not only do we involve them, but notice in verse 6, we give them inspiration. Now, if you're a down-in-the-mouth Christian, that's what you're going to reproduce. If you're negative all the time, you're going to reproduce that. If you're critical, you're going to reproduce that. If you don't know your Bible and you're just fluffing along, that's what you're going to you produce what you are. So notice what Paul says here in verse 6. The evangelistic church, he says there, having received the word in much affliction, and notice the next phrase, with joy of the Holy Ghost. Now my, my prayer, and I prayed this this morning for our church, is that, that we'd have happy people. I, I'm reminded today of a young preacher. He got up to do his first funeral. Now, if you've never, you don't understand this. You may not even get what I'm going to tell you tonight. First funerals are very nerve-wracking because you want to make sure you say the right thing, okay? And a first funeral you do, it has to be comforting, okay? And this preacher got up, and his, his, his home preacher always was, was very upbeat, and he'd always get to the pulpit, and he would say something like this right after, right after they finished singing. He said, are you happy tonight? And everyone would say, yeah, I'm happy tonight. And he would just say that until people got up. So you're happy tonight? Well, that young preacher didn't know what to do. And there's all these people crying inside of the funeral home. And he gets up and he says, are you happy tonight? And then to make matters worse, he didn't know what else to say. And his preacher always says something like this. Are you happy tonight? Well, I'm so glad you're here tonight. And he says something like this. Oh, I'm glad you're here tonight. They weren't glad they were there that night. But I'm saying tonight, you know, he had the right spirit about it. I think we need to have the right spirit. We need to understand. We know happy people produce happy people. Happy parents produce happy children. Amen. You know what I want for our church? I want new believers to follow the right model. That's the future of our church. I, I, I have a vision for a new person. They come to the church. You know what I want them to see them do? I want to see them a soul winner one day. I want to see them bringing somebody down the aisle. I want to see them having people in the baptistry. I want to see them leading something. I want to see them doing something for the Lord. I want to see a church filled with people that have, know that faith is the victory that overcomes the world. I want them to know they're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. I want them to know that God answers prayer. I want them to know that God is in the saving business there. Amen? You want to have the joy of the Lord. Excited about Jesus Christ here. Spurgeon said this, You cannot be Christ's servant if you're not willing to follow him, cross and all. What do you crave? A crown? Then it must be a crown of thorns if you're to be like him. That's a great thought. Do you want to be lifted up? So you shall, but it will be upon a cross. I'm just saying tonight, we look at, the, we look at this ministry of, this, of the evangelistic church, and the ministry is one of discipling. We must conserve the fruit. And that's what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying chapter 1 and chapter 2, there was a conservation of fruit. But notice quickly verses 7 and 8, which you notice very quickly, the mission of the evangelistic church. Now, the church at Thessalonica, it's amazing. Paul was not there very long. You read Acts 17. But they quickly caught on on what they were supposed to be doing. Now, they were, they were quick learners. And I think a lot of it I attribute to the Holy Spirit working in their hearts. They had an anxiousness, a desire to grow in their Plus, they were under a lot of pressure by, by the Jews that were giving them oppression there. Now, we have a mission and verses 7 and 8 gives the mission of the evangelistic church. Now, the evangelistic church has a mandate. We must preach the gospel. The, the, the evangelistic church has a ministry. We're to conserve the fruit God has given to us. But the, but the evangelistic church has a mission. Notice in verses 7 and 8 that mission. First of all, in verse 8, would you notice 
In the first part of verse 8, he says, he, says, he says, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord in Macedonia and Achaia. Now, first of all, I want you to notice their mission. They, did, they, they, they learned that the mission of the evangelistic church is gospel preaching in their communities. Gospel preaching in their communities. Notice the word sounded out for those who've never studied that. The word sounded out means to echo. You ever done an echo? You ever been to Grand Canyon and go, hello, and hear your voice go, hello. You ever done that where you've been to quarter somewhere, you just, hello, and you hear the echoing? Here's what he's saying there. Your faith grew to, your, your, your faith was so, was so dramatic in its growth and so fiery. He says, from you, that means out of their own midst. That means people are getting saved. For from you, somebody went out. From you echoed out. From you sounded out the gospel. From you sounded out the word of the Lord. Not just in Macedonia. You have to bear in mind Macedonia was a large area. But also down on Achaia, down in the area of Corinth. Remember, Paul is writing this letter. This is one of the first letters. In fact, the first letter Paul wrote. He's writing this from the city of Corinth on his first missionary trip. And while he's down there, he's gotten word from people they've been witnessing to and preaching to. They heard the gospel there up in Macedonia from the church of Thessalonica. Now that is an evangelistic church. When you know that you've been somewhere and somebody else told them the gospel, they heard the gospel, that's a blessing. I'll tell you, that's a blessing. You can get around the Bay Area, somewhere along the way, someone makes your way here, they heard about this church and they got it from a track that somebody gave them on a BART train or on a bus or on an airplane or at a restaurant somewhere. They went somewhere and someone gave them the track. And I'm just saying tonight, as you look at this, they got a burden for their area. They, this was a soul winning church. They got a burden for Macedonia. What? Our Easter outreach, we have a goal of getting out a minimum 30 to 40,000 of these flyers. The flyers just came in. They're wonderful looking flyers. We're just waiting for the translation to come. But we're going live this Sunday. We're going to have flyers out. And I want to challenge us as a church to get those flyers out and get them everywhere. Don't just stay in San Leandro. Get out of San Leandro. Go find a pocket of area where you haven't been to before. And let's get these out. And you make it a goal. You're not going to give your little 15 to 20 out. Get out 100 to 200, 300 of these out and make a goal of getting out. Don't give me just one hour a day. Give the Lord, maybe three or four hours on a Saturday that you're just going to commit to during the next five or six weeks and getting those out. And listen, the Bible says here, for from you sounded out the word of God, not only Macedonia, but also Achaia. There was gospel preaching in their communities. Get a burden for San Leandro. Get a burden for Oakland. Get a burden for San Francisco. Get a burden for the east of this area. I mean, get a burden for those areas. We need to wake up and accept the responsibility. We're to take the gospel to all of our communities. But notice not only gospel preaching in their communities, but you notice the latter part of verse 8. There was gospel preaching across the continents. This was a missions-driven church. They didn't even have a missions conference. They just knew that what they were supposed to do. Amen, you know? They just knew that's what they were supposed to do. Look at verse 8. For from you sounded out the word of our Lord, not only Macedonia can, but also notice in every place. Where's every place? In every place. Your faith to Godward is spread abroad. And you need to underline those two words, spread abroad. It went across the water. It went up the Via Ignatia Road. That's why God put Paul there in Macedonia, because that Via Ignatia Road was, the, was a modern road that Rome built and made his travels easy. He could go up and down. That's why he was so effective on the second and third missionary tour, because God knew in sending Macedonia, he'd be more effective getting the larger cities by being on that Via Ignatia Road. And you know what Paul said? was a joy to him. He says, you know, I've got, a, I've got a burden for missions and I've got a burden for getting the gospel people, but you know what's a blessing to me? You guys have already been there. He's already been there. You spread the word of God abroad so that we need not to speak anything. It wasn't saying, Paul wasn't saying I didn't need to do it. And it wasn't, he wasn't saying I didn't need to go there. He says, you know what? You've already done it. And what a joy and a testimony for an evangelistic church that it's grown spiritually mature to the point that they don't have to be told or pushed or coerced to do something. They just take up the responsibility and they get it out and tell people about the Lord and, and they want people to find Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so we see this mission, this church is going out. Let me say this tonight. Let's go win souls. Amen. Let's go win souls. Let's pray for God to... Call out men as preachers. That word Jesus said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. It's the same word that's used for pray in Acts 4.31. It's the word deomai, which means to beg and plead with God until he sends it. We're to beg and plead with God that he may raise up preachers. Then what you notice one more thing tonight, we're done. We see the mandate for the evangelistic church. We see the ministry for the evangelistic church. We see the mission for the evangelistic church. But how do you keep it going? 
This afternoon today, I, I asked all the staff members, I want you to see a video that we just got from one of our missionaries, and it was a good video. I think if you asked me, it was a very good video that we saw, and it's a new, new, it's a, it's a new work, and uh, just kind of what God's doing there. And, and I said, I want, you to, I want you to tell me what you see here. What is he doing that's right? And what's he doing that's not right? And I said, why don't you tell me, we're not going to be critical, but I want you to tell, tell me what's adaptable, what can we use for this? I, want, I said, I want you to zone in and take a look at that. And it's very refreshing, encouraging to see a, a man who went to an area, he didn't know anybody there. And, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know, Brother Adrian, what do you think? He probably had 40 people there in one of those sessions there. Probably he got maybe 40 people in that church there. I mean, I, for guys who's only been there for a year and a half and just really getting out, I mean, and he's got visa issues and, you know, he's, he's, he does, you know, he's got a lot of issues there. And he made a statement that he says, yeah, we, we were averaging 15, 20, this one particular group that was coming Friday nights. But he said, you know, we were down a little bit last, last two weeks because of rain. And I said, did you guys catch that? And I said, now, I'm glad for what he's doing and he's doing everything right. And he's doing everything just like we would do. But here's one thing we need to focus on. And they said, what is that? And I said, the word I'm going to give you is sustainability. Now, I can get people into church, and you can get people into church. And I can witness the people, and you can witness the people, okay? But are they going to be here six months from now? They're going to be here 12 months from now. And you'll notice here, Paul is talking about this church that was on fire, that was winning souls, they're conserving the fruit, the gospel's being spread out. Listen, they're, they're not just in Macedonia, Achaia. You go look at a map. That's a wide area. They were, I mean, they, got, they, they had people who went to Philippi, and I think they had people going to Berea. I mean, they went through all of uh, Macedonia, and then they went southwards down to Achaia, down by the Corinth area, and maybe even some went down there to Athens there. I mean, they made their way there, and, and they're doing all these things. But Paul knew one thing about ministry, and that is this. There comes a time where we hit a point where if we're not really focused on the Lord doing it, and we have God's power, there, we start to retreat track a little bit and we start to go backwards a little bit or we get stuck at our ways and we're just kind of maintaining ourselves instead of multiplying ourselves. And what Paul's going to give us here tonight as we look, I want you to see the motivation for an evangelistic church because churches that continue to go forward and they start seeing things. Now this, when I say church, don't think of it in terms of somebody else. You've got to think in terms of me and you, okay? These kind of churches are motivated because they're looking at the sustainability. How do you keep the fire going? How do you keep motivated? How do you keep inspired about going so winning when you've knocked on 1,000 doors and you've only witnessed the 10 people, less than 1%, and of all those 10 people, nobody's gotten saved, and you kind of wonder, does it even work for you? How do you keep going when you've talked to those same relatives hundreds of times that haven't got saved, and now you're just feeling a little bit discouraged and feel like it's not happening there, and you're trying to find a better way, a new way? How do you keep going? Where does the sustainability come from? Notice verses 9 to 10, and we're done tonight. Notice the sustainability. Sustainability comes from where this church got it. Now, this church got it right in all of its, uh, all of its ways. It was, hot, it was firing hot on all cylinders. It had it right in every way. It had it right about its mandate. It had it right about the ministry. It had it right about its mission. And I want you to notice tonight, they had it right about their motivation. Their motivation didn't come because the pastor got up and gave a rah-rah sermon. And their motivation did not come because they, caught, caught, they brought an expert in who got them fired up about soul winning for another two weeks. No, their motivation was sustainable. It kept them going. Going and going and going because they had the right concept that was doctrine based here in verses 9 and 10. Wouldn't you notice that, please? He says, For they themselves show of us of what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now I want you to see two motivations here we're done. Motivation number one is found in verse 9. Motivation number one was the endeavor to be real. Now, if you're serious about Jesus Christ, you're going to be real about your Christian life. Right. You're not coming to church to play games or try to press. Listen, if you're coming and you put up your, you put up your pharisaical garb and you put up this look that I'm looking pretty good, you may look good on the outside, but God knows if on the inside you're, you're a whited sepulcher full of dead man's bones. Yep. Amen? And so you look over here, he says, for, he says in verse 9, for they themselves, he says, the fruit of what you're doing, show us of how our influence worked in your life. The word, power, the Holy Ghost, and much assurance. And he says, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now, if you've never dealt with people that have gotten saved out of pagan background and have gotten rid of their idols, that is monumental. When they burn the God shelf, 
When they break up their idols, I mean, that is monumental. I mean, they are making a statement. When you see somebody who's been an ancestor worshiper and prayed to their mother or their father and grandmother, grandfather, and they realize that's not the way and that's wrong and that's out of worship, I mean, that is monumental. That is a change that only God can give them. Nobody else can change that. And Paul said here, listen, he says, it's evident here, this is real Christianity here at Thessalonica. You guys are real. You turn to God from serving idols and you're serving the living and true God. They encountered, they were willing to accept the persecution and the affliction and the ostracization that would go there. They accepted all that, but they just realized that real Christians have to live for Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you tonight, if you're going to have sustainability, you've got to be real about Jesus Christ. Because if you're not a disciple, you can't produce disciples. A true disciple picks up their cross. By this shall all men that know you're my, they know you're my disciples because you love one another. You'll be willing to pay the price. Thank God for sacrifice. Thank God for giving. All those things that we do. But I'm telling you tonight, there must be the endeavor of being real. Then notice verse 10, the expectation of being raptured. Motivation number one is they were just real. I believe they had real devotion times. I believe they were truly submissive. I believe they were truly serving. I believe they truly were devoted to Jesus Christ. But notice verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now, we have to thank God that the church of Thessalonica, they, they were so spiritually hungry for the things of God. In the short period of time that Paul was with them, and he reiterates this to them in chapter 4. In the short period of time, he gave them the doctrine of eschatology. He gave them the doctrine of things to come. Now, praise God, that church was so on fire for God, they wanted to know more, and they wanted to know more, and they wanted to know more. And he says, he realizes, he talked about the second coming of Christ and the rapture specifically. And then Second Thessalonians, he talked about the second coming of Christ for, uh, after the tribulation. He, he said, he looked at all that, and he made the statement in verse 10, and they waited for a son from heaven. They were anxious about Jesus coming. Are you anxious about Jesus coming? You notice these people here, I want to say this tonight, the evangelist of the church looks for Jesus coming. Look at Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope. Now, where are you looking tonight? Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. The evangelist of the church looks for his coming. But notice something else here. The evangelist of the church lives for Jesus' coming. 1 John 2.28, and now little children abide in him. Then when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be shamed before man is coming. Now you read that, you go all the way down to 1 John 3, 3. That in itself is a great motivation for holy living. For every man that has his hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure, 1 John 3, 3. If you've got a sin issue you're dealing with, that you're struggling with, you need to memorize those verses, 1 John 2, 27, all the way down to 1 John 3, 3. That'll help your life. But listen, the evangelistic church looks for his coming. The evangelistic church lives for his coming. But the evangelistic church, those members, they love his coming. Look what it says in 2 Timothy 4, 8, and we're done. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. They're motivated by the coming of Jesus Christ. That Jesus could come at any time. I was teaching this in discipleship. Almost every time we do this, we have some new believers there, and, and they have unsafe family members, and they get very anxious. By the time we're done, they're, they're anxious about wanting to get the gospel to an unsafe family member. And I tell them, you better do it quickly. You better do it quickly, because if you wait two more weeks and three more weeks, it goes by, and you're going to forget everything you learned, and that fire is going to be gone. You better do it quickly. Back during the Civil War down in Georgia, General Sherman drove his troops on their march to the sea. And I've been to this location. Dr. Dan Reed showed me this when I preached from years ago when he was pastor there at Harvest Baptist Church in Ackworth. He took me to the city of Kennesaw. took me to the Kennesaw Mountain where this battle took place. And the Confederates made their march against the small assembly, the small brigade that General Sherman had there. They were trying to hold the fort there in the Kennesaw Mountains there, and, and General, General John Hood, who represented the Confederates, were making their advance, and, and listen, they, they, they just, they whooped them. I mean, they whooped them bad. I mean, they just sent them back and pushed them back and pushed them back, and they had casualty after casualty after casualty. One-third of General Sherman's men were killed or wounded. Uh, General Corse, the general command, was severely injured. He was maimed through, through an attack there, and uh, they were about, they, they just felt like, you know what, we're decimated, we're down to nothing, and we just don't know what we're going to do. We know General Sherman said he's going to come, but we don't know what's going to happen here. And, uh, and, and the general that was there, he just said, you know, maybe we just need to put the white flag up, and we need to wave the white flag and tell him we're, we're done with things, and we're going to quit right now. 
out because, I mean, that's how they felt. Bullets were, were just flying by. And things were going on. And a messenger arrived and came to them. And the messenger represented German, General Sherman. And it, the messenger came to him and says, listen, don't give up right now. Don't give up. He said, General Sherman's within 15 miles of Fort. And this is the message he said to them. Hold fast. We're coming. Hold fast. We're coming. I know you've been decimated. I know you've been wounded. I know you've been hurt. But he said, hold fast. And we're coming. May I say tonight as an evangelistic church, and a church that needs to be evangelistic, let's hold fast. Jesus is coming. Hold fast to winning souls. Hold fast to getting the gospel out. Hold fast to our special Easter outreach. Hold fast to realizing we must, we must model what Jesus wants to do. We're not interested, nor are we going to be like the churches that are failing and churches that are dying, churches that have no life, churches that have some kind of different flavor and everything. You need to get on board tonight and say, you know what? We're going to be the kind of church Jesus wants to be. We're going to be the evangelistic church. We're going to hold fast because Jesus Christ is coming. And I'm telling you tonight, if he comes tonight, did you do all that you could so that souls could be saved? Did you do all that you could so this church could grow and make an influence and be a beacon to shine across this area for Jesus Christ? Hold fast because Jesus is coming. Our Father, tonight I ask you that you would take this message and drive it dear into our hearts about the emphasis of being the evangelistic church where the sole and primary emphasis is the preaching and proclamation of the gospel. Lord, tonight as we look at the church at Thessalonica, it encourages us, inspires us. Here was the church that accepted its mandate, that the priority was to preach in the gospel, that every ministry revolved itself around winning souls. Here was a church that in its ministry, that it knew that it was important for the conservation of those converts. Here was a ministry that, Lord, they saw in their mission that they, the word of God sounded out not only in their local area, in their communities, but it went abroad across to the continents. And here was a ministry that had great sustainability because, number one, they endeavored to be real. Second, Lord, they had the expectation of the rapture. They knew Jesus could come at any moment. Lord, we know you could come at any time, the imminent return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for 1 John 2.28 in our midst tonight that we will abide in you. That when you appear, we will not be ashamed before you at your coming. I pray that every man that has this hope, every man that's saved would purify himself even as you are pure. Father, tonight we pray in our busyness and our weary bodies and our tiredness. We realize tonight that there's a lot to be done in upholding the model of an evangelistic church. Give us what we need tonight. Maybe for some it's just being obedient to the mandate. Maybe for some tonight it's realizing that the ministry is more than just witnessing. We've got to help give assurance. We've got to make sure in our witnessing that there's power in the Holy Ghost accompanied with the Word of God. Uh, we must make sure, dear Lord, that we, that we are, as a church, are exercising the mission to our communities and to the continents. And Father, I pray this evening that God will have your way in a wonderful, loving way. Love us through this passage of Scripture. Encourage us, light the fire inside of us that will glorify you. And then maybe tonight if someone here is not saved, they need to get saved. The purpose of this message is that they might know Christ as their Savior. Father, have your way. We pray this evening that the Holy Spirit will not be quenched and hindered. We pray our heart to be tender and soft towards you in obeying the Lord. And we pray these things.